0: In Cameroon, one in five girls will have given birth by the age of 19. This is according to PSI, Population Services International, a global health non-governmental organization. And true to that statistic, Dr. Enno shares with us a personal story that resonates to that. If this worrying statistic is going to change, then it is important that the young people in Cameroon and globally have access to the tools and information they need in order to make decisions for their health and for their life. Here is my conversation with Dr. Eno. Talking about things that make you uncomfortable and awkward is what we do. We break the ice so that you can freely talk about them. This is Not Your Usual Subjects Podcast with your host, Quem. That's related to SRHR outnumber debts from other courses in fragile settings. This is according to Yvonne Stassen, Deputy Director for the Social Development at the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs in a 2015 symposium dubbed Sexual and Productive Health and Rights, that is SRHR, in fragile environments, turning challenges into opportunities. The symposium was held on Human Rights Day organized by the Royal Tropical Institute, CODAID, International Medical Corps. HealthNet TPO, with the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and ShareNet. Indeed, over half of all maternal, newborn, and child deaths occurred in around 50 countries categorized as fragile states. In today's episode, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Enno, who is not only a young person living in a fragile state, but also a and productive health clinician providing services to internally displaced persons due to the Anglophone crisis in Cameroon. In our conversation, we expand on SRHR issues affecting folks in humanitarian settings, specifically in Anglophone Cameroon. We definitely agree that the SRHR needs are beyond the purview of maternal and prenatal care and postnatal care as well. So what's more to it and what is the Anglophone crisis in Cameroon? Let's dive right in. Thank you so much, Dr. Eno, for joining us today. Um, we are absolutely honored. Please share with us a little bit about you, where it is you come from, and the context of your living and working experience.
1: Thank you very much, Graham, for the opportunity to be invited to this session. I, My name is Dr. Eno Awa Georgie-Stevens. I am a Cameroonian, born in Cameroon, uh, studied in Cameroon, and started working in Cameroon. I come from the southwest region of Cameroon, which is the English-speaking part of Cameroon. And uh, unfortunately, for the past six years, this part of Cameroon has been in deep crisis from uh, a terrorist attack from the Anglophone side of Cameroon. And this caused a lot of problems and made the English-speaking part of Cameroon to become fragile. So I currently lived in a fragile and humanitarian context from this crisis called the Anglophone crisis. And because of this crisis, more than 60,000 Anglophones have been displaced, some to northern Nigeria and others to the eastern part of Cameroon. I studied in Cameroon, I did general medicine, and further did sexual and reproductive health studies.
0: Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Eno. We are surely living in a world with different layers of crisis. Um, uh, Within Cameroon, we, as from what you've shared, is that, you know, it is the Anglophone part of it is a fragile state. And now we have had, since 2019, the global health crisis that is COVID-19. And you've already begun by letting us know that you have taken a focus into sexual and reproductive health mm-hmm. and rights. Um, And, you know, when we had our conversations prior to today, you talked about how important uh, access of to SRHR is means to a lot to you and especially over a moment you talked over a moment that it hit closer home would you please share about uh, that a little bit more
1: yes sure of course uh, i must say that sexual and reproductive health and rights is a very important aspect in the life of young people and especially to me you know one of the things that inspired me to focus more on sexual and reproductive health was the fact that i was directly touched my junior sister unfortunately became pregnant at the age of 16 so she fell in the problem of unwanted pregnancy you know teenage pregnancy and secondly i lost a cousin of mine to complications of post abortion clandestine abortion and all of these kept singing a song in my head they kept ringing something in my head as a medical doctor as a young person how would this happen just beside my, below my own eyes, you know? Where did we go wrong? Why were they not aware? Why didn't they have informed, why didn't they have information, you know, to make the right decisions and choices about their sexual and reproductive health? And these, with many other problems which I encountered, made me to understand that, indeed, sexual and reproductive health is a critical aspect in the life of young people, and in the well-being and growth of young people, and it's a subject and a topic which we cannot bypass. We must talk about it every day, because whether we like it or not, young people will face sexual and reproductive health issues as they move along in life. So this really, this really was the springboard you know that, that deepened my passion. For sexual and reproductive health, and to make sure that young people, wherever they are, will have adequate information to make the right decisions.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I hear you, Dr. Eno. Um, I don't speak for all households in Kenya, but I do know that in my household growing up, the topic of sex was not spoken about. Um and it's something I had to learn for myself as I navigated the world in my uh, later teenagehood years, and you know later in life. As a medical doctor, are there any gaps that you see exists within you know ensuring that we have access to SRHR information? And, um, you know, visiting a health center and now adding an additional layer of COVID-19 and specifically for young people living in a humanitarian context like Anglophone, Cameroon, you know, how have uh, young people been navigating barriers to sexual and reproductive health and rights, access to information, access to services and um, yeah, I wonder what what that in your working as a medical doctor and now you know having taken a particular interest in sexual and reproductive health and rights how has that been
1: Sexual and reproductive health as i said continues to be a major issue in the life of young people and uh, without the pandemic it, there was already a difficulty for young people to access sexual and reproductive health and now the pandemic has brought in a double burden COVID-19 pandemic had, has put the world into a stress test. And for young people, it has increased their vulnerability. Now, in a fragile and humanitarian context, there has been lack of information. Lack of information for young people to access services. Lack of information for young people to make the right decisions. Lack of information for young people to understand their sexual and reproductive health. Because there is an understanding part of it It's not about accessing it. It's also about understanding how to access it and how to use it. So there is a problem of information. And that is why comprehensive sexuality education is an important aspect in sexual and reproductive health. So there has been lack of information. The second thing is poverty. Poverty in rural settings. Poverty in rural Cameroon has exacerbated young people's problems in sexual and reproductive health. The third thing are the cultural barriers, you know, to accessing services. Sexual issues are not usually spoken of in homes, in families. It is seen as a a taboo subject. And so young people, unfortunately, get information on sexual and reproductive health from the wrong sources. And so they will not get the right information. They get it from untrusted sources. So cultural barriers has been a problem. You know, there has been lack of safe spaces youth-friendly spaces for young people to access sexual and reproductive health. I cannot remember the timeless, time, uh, the timeless moments where young people have been stigmatized for the fact that they want to just buy a condom, you know, and a pharmacist will say, you're too young to get a condom. These are all the difficulties that young people face, regardless of a crisis. Now imagine when you bring in a crisis, like the anglophone crisis, like COVID-19, Shame and stigma has been another problem, you know? Young people are afraid, they are ashamed, that how would they look at me? What image am I portraying to the society just to access my own sexual and reproductive health? So these are some of the barriers that young people face. Now you can imagine what happens in a fragile and humanitarian context where we have all forms of gender-based violence, of sexual gender-based violence. I mean, it's really difficult. And so these are some of the difficulties that young people face. And how would they navigate through these difficulties in a humanitarian context? Of course, digital technology has been one of the key aspects which young people have, have maximized. You know, they now have peer-to-peer support where they can communicate with your friends, you know, to share their problems. They go online to get information. I wonder if the information they get is really adequate online because online is a pool on, of information whether good, whether bad, or whether evil. And so, therefore, I wonder if they even know how to get the right information online. But digital technology has improved with the crisis. Secondly, young people have also understood that there is need for them to study it through apps. We now have mobile apps where they get information about their menstrual health, they know their safe periods, you know, they get information about family planning. So mobile apps has been one of the important things which young people have used to access sexual and reproductive health. Telemedicine, you know, there are other apps where young people can consult online, you know, regardless of where they are, regardless of which country they are found, they can connect to a doctor, they can connect to a healthcare provider, you know, to find out more information about sexual and reproductive health and to explain their issues. Personally, I have had a lot of calls via WhatsApp, you know, to consult young people online and to help them navigate through these difficulties of living in a crisis setting where movements are limited, you know. So these are some of the ways in which young people have navigated through this crisis to access sexual and reproductive health.
0: Thanks, Dr. Eno. I really, really appreciate what you said about beyond access to sexual and reproductive health information. Um, are we understanding uh, what that is? Are young people understanding what that is? Um, you know, is there comprehension? Is there all of the things that can support? Um, uh, access. Uh, I really very much appreciate that. And and also on safe spaces, because a safe space is a brave space, right? So that means creating a space where young people can talk to each other, peer-to-peer conversations around sexual and productive health and rights, uh, because I Believe that at that point, uh, there's a breaking down of, of power dynamics, for example, so that, um, you know, how that relationship would look like between young people have conversations, a conversation about something that affects them of uh, having a conversation, for example, with a doctor or a healthcare provider. So I really appreciate the conversation around ensuring that part of how we are supporting access to sexual and productive health is creating and making space for safe and brave spaces to have that conversation. And also, um, while you're speaking, I... Uh, thought about a book by Adrian Marie Brown uh, called "Emergent Strategies," and we talk about she talks about how uh, moments um, or change brings about um, survival strategies. We see this in 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 animals, for example, or or during uh, a change in climate, is that uh, plants and animals adapt. Into what that is, and what you shared is young people adapting and navigating uh, barriers to sexual and productive health by looking at and and seeking and finding opportunities within within tech, within um, you know using internet. And I also couldn't help but wonder, um, you know, because we cannot talk about tech and and digitally digitalism without talking about um, the digital divide, because not all young people might have access to um, tech or the internet, especially those who might be in rural areas where although right to the internet we have the right to the inter- to to internet and, and and tech and all of that uh, there's no accessibility there so i wonder if you've seen some incredible innovations or how young people in such settings uh within humanitarian settings within internally displaced places how uh, that navigation looks like at the moment so that we can celebrate that and also look at, uh, and look at also the places in which we can build up on that.
1: Yes, I mean it can be quite difficult for young people in rural communities who can't access uh, digital technology. Especially where connectivity is low, data bandwidth is low, electricity is a problem. You know, so all of these difficulties are some of. It's very difficult for young people, actually in rural communities, to access digital technology. But again, there have been some very good innovations, you know, like uh, the Gifted Mom app in Cameroon that helps to follow pregnant women uh, 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 in rural communities and also helps young people to access information on family planning, on uh, menstrual health, on reproductive health and sexual diseases, you know, Gifted Mom uses the, the SMS system, which does not need data or internet connection, you know, to understand some of the reproductive health uh, 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 facil- uh, 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 knowledge. So Gifted Mom is an innovation which came up in a time like this where we are in a crisis and is helping young people in rural communities to access reproductive health information without necessarily going online, you know, through an SMS system, they can uh, text to get information about their sexual and reproductive health. And also even pregnant women can follow up with their antenatal consultations through this app.
0: Um, and while we are on that conversation, um, Dr. Enno, I know that there has been a lot of assumption around young people just people are living in humanitarian settings about sex, it's uh, the assumption that sex becomes a deprioritized item or practice, intimacy, um, love, relationships. Um, I wonder if, uh, or what your experience has been uh, when it comes to such assumptions of what you have uh, come to find, uh, because one of the things that uh, we are looking within the field of sexual and reproductive health and rights is expanding the understanding to include intimacy, to include love, such that even when we are having conversations about sexual and reproductive health, it really is rooted in the fact that, you know, there is love, there is pleasure, there is intimacy. And in moments of crisis, I, I, in my uh, belief, I believe that these are some of the things that powers and fuels our resistance. And so it is an important part of talking about sexual and productive health and rights. Uh, Dr. Enno, what, 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 what are your thoughts around that? What have you come to find as you have been working in, uh, in Cameroon and also within the field of sexual and productive health in relation to young people?
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Permit me to say that sex is a fundamental human need. And so, it's like food. Would you say that in a humanitarian setting, people don't eat? Of course, no. Would you say that in a humanitarian setting, people don't sleep? Of course, they do sleep. And it would wow you to know that cases of sexual gender-based violence are increasing, are alarming in a humanitarian setting. So, therefore, it means that There is a lot of sexual activity in a fragile and humanitarian setting, and even within displaced populations. Because, of course, they are humans. Nothing has been subtracted from from them. They still have their bodies. They still have feelings. They are still emotional. They still have the intimate part of them. And so, therefore, saying that in a fragile and humanitarian context, sex, intimacy should not be spoken or should not be exploited, it's a negative or it's a wrong notion because of course people still continue to have sex especially young people they become vulnerable their rights are treaded upon you know due to power dynamics actually when the whole zone is militarized in a place like in boya in Bamenda, where i have worked you know the whole zone is militarized and there's a lot of negative that happen within those communities, within those settings. The military takes advantage of them. They rape young girls. Now, due to young people not going to school, they become very idle at home. You know, poverty, lack of money. They go and they are being lured into sexual uh, 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 experiences. And all of these things increases the rate of teenage pregnancy, increases the rate of infections of sexual and reproductive health, infect, uh, infections like HIV and AIDS, STIs, you know. And all of these are alarming Where in a fragile and humanitarian context. So therefore, sex, intimacy, and issues of relationship are supposed to be spoken more of within a fragile and humanitarian setting because they need it. They have to know how to avoid issues of gender and sexual-based violence. They have to know how to be empowered economically, because again, economic empowerment helps women to eradicate them from being lured into sexual sexual uh, 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 sexual maltreatment or sexual exploitation. Because most of these young girls and young people are exploited. Why? Because the lack a source of income, the lack a source of even having. Three square meals a day, you know, they lack a source of even buying their menstrual path. So all these difficulties will make them to be sexually exploited. We now have transactional sex. And all of this will happen in a, in a, in a community where there is crisis, like the Anglophone crisis in Cameroon. So therefore, sex, intimacy should be spoken of. Young people have to be empowered. They have to be given the opportunity to explore their sexuality. They have to be given an enabling environment to become economically stable. That is why I really appreciate the work of the World Food Programme that helps to provide young people with even food to eat. Because in rural communities, even food is a problem. So they go as far as giving their bodies just to have food. All of these difficulties are in a fragile and humanitarian context and so therefore we have to speak about it we have to empower them that even if you are vulnerable there is a condom you can use a condom will prevent you from having com- contracting a venereal disease from contracting hiv from contracting hepatitis just that information can save a young girl it can save a young boy so all of these things must be spoken of in a fragile and humanitarian context
0: thank you so much dr eno for taking us through that um relationality of you know of sexual reproductive health and rights in humanitarian settings and how that links to sexual and gender based violence and how that links to um you know all of these different things um and 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 one of the things that i also wanted to just uh mention is that there is a, a difference between sexual exploitation and sex work and sex work is where a woman um who is of age has agency over their body and not just a woman um um you know to uh to pursue sex work as a way of um of uh you know meeting their livelihood just like any other Job. So I just wanted to share that. Um, And to also mention that we will be having an episode on sex work and sexual and reproductive health and rights. So be on the lookout for that. Um, So, Dr. Eno, as we come to uh, a close of our conversation today, I wanted to um, ask you, is there something that I haven't asked? Is there an offering, an invitation uh, that you'd like to make to our listeners today um, in relation to our conversation?
1: Yes, please. I really want to reiterate on the fact that much has to be done by young people themselves, by the government, by communities, to create an enabling environment for young people to access sexual and reproductive health it should not be seen as a taboo topic it must be spoken everywhere every time even in schools and so governments must ensure that comprehensive sexuality education is accessible for all children for adolescents and young people you know to gain knowledge and to develop the necessary skills to make conscious healthy and respectful choices about their relationships and sexuality because when they don't have this education this understanding it becomes a problem It is when I grew up that I came to understand what my my father would tell me, that knowledge is power and understanding is the key. When you have knowledge, you have the power to make the right choices. And when you understand, there is no mystery you cannot demystify. And so therefore, our governments must ensure that comprehensive sexuality education is a key aspect in the life of young people, you know? Governments must increase public funding to ensure that all adolescents and youth, especially girls, have access to comprehensive and age-responsive sexual and reproductive health education and services, especially in humanitarian situations. All girls and young women would have access to separate and hygienic facilities in public spaces. Imagine that there are no uh, 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 private public spaces a girl can easily be raped. So, government, stakeholders, community members must ensure that in such a fragile setting, there must be separate and hygienic sanitary facilities in public spaces for girls. Lastly, cultural traditions, religious beliefs, and social norms should not be reasons for states to ignore interventional conventions and agreements regarding SRHR. And this, especially, I'm talking about female genital mutilation, where some cultures mutilate young girls, circumcise them because of their own beliefs. You know, we have international conventions like the Maputo Protocol, which governments must take them into consideration, especially those that have ratified them, you know, to protect young girls, to protect young people growing up because their sexuality is critical for their comprehensive well-being. If we need young people to become the leaders of today and tomorrow, then we must invest in their sexual and reproductive health. And my message to young people will be this. Go for knowledge. Knowledge is power and understanding is the key. Go for knowledge. Understand what your sexuality is all about. Understand your body. Learn your body. Learn your reproductive health. Know how to navigate all of these challenges. What do I do when I'm honey? How do I have safe and pleasurable sex? How do I communicate my sexual desires with my partner? There are very important factors which we miss. and At the end of the day, we get into problems. And so young people, understand your sexuality and be proud of your sexuality. Be proud of your body and explore as far as you can go. Because now is the moment to know your reproductive health, to know your sexual health.
0: Love that so much, Dr. Eno. I could not add anything to it. Um, the container we come with to this earth is our bodies. So let's go forth and, and explore it. Thank you so much for sharing yourself, your knowledge um, with us and your wisdom today, Dr. I know we really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation with you today. There is a misguided notion that people living in fragile states have bigger things to worry about than sex, intimacy, or pleasure. Well, one of the ways we resist oppression is through joy, right? Consensual sex is joyful, right? I hope that today's episode has affirmed the correct notion. When we talk about SRHR, we cannot fail to talk about gender-based and intimate partner violence, child marriage, unsafe abortion, sexuality, sexual pleasure. All these are interconnected, intersectionally if you may. You might have noted this in all our different episodes. In this series, we have talked about sexual pleasure, SRHR and disability, self-managed abortion, SRHR and SOGI rights, SOGI meaning sexual orientation, gender identity and expression, where we paid attention to the issue of violence. Our previous episode was on sex work and now this episode is on SRHR in humanitarian settings. I've got to ask, have you managed to catch all of the other episodes? If not, I invite you to have a listen. As I mentioned at one point in today's episode, this is the last episode of this series. As we come to the almost end of the series, one big highlight that was important for us to make is this. We stress that SRHR comes from the human need to have sex, to have pleasure, to explore intimacy. But even if it's not always about having sex in the case of a sexual, all humans, despite their sexual orientation and gender identity, have the need and right to sexually reproductive health and rights. I said, almost the end of the podcast series, right? Well, we do have a listening party coming up early 2022. You don't want to miss it. And of course, we'd love to have you there. Please stay tuned to our social media for more updates. I would like to deeply thank our entire production team at the Not Your Usual Subjects podcast and in extension, Stories to Action, the visionary behind this podcast and of course, our funder, Shanet, Netherlands. And a special thank you to our guests and contributors. This podcast would not have been possible without you, you sharing yourselves and your stories. We are glad to have done our part and made our contribution to upholding SRHR as a human rights and feminist issue by capturing and documenting the stories of those who often go unheard. You can help to continue elevating these voices by sharing this podcast with someone you know. I have been your host, Chepkwemoe Kimtai aka kwem, and it has been an absolute honor being in community with you all across time and space. Goodbye. The support of Not Your Usual Subjects podcast comes from staff and volunteers at Stories to Action who are conjuring alongside young people situated across borders all around the world. Together, we envision a world where every young person's voice is heard on their sexual health and reproductive rights, even in times of public health emergencies like COVID-19. We would like to honor, thank and acknowledge all our contributors and guests for sharing their stories to action. ShareNet International Netherlands, who we are so deeply grateful for funding and resourcing this podcast, reminds us of the role that philanthropy in working with youth in their diversity should and can play in raising collective consciousness. Please head on over to share-netinternational.org to find your regional hub. Please commune with us on social media to find out about our next episode and share your feedback thoughts and reflections with us this is on facebook twitter instagram linkedin at stories to action links are available on the show notes at the podcasting platform of your choice that you listen to us from please share this episode with someone awesome ones you know should have a listen goodbye